Good day, everyone. I hope you are all keeping safe and well. Welcome to another edition of our FX podcast series. Um, it's Kieran Russell here, once again, joined by Chris Brand from our FX trading desk and Ryan Judges-Butra from our economics team. Well, before I begin, um, I just wanted to say well done to Chris, who so far leads the way in our currency predictor game. In our April podcast, I put everyone on the spot to get their predictions on where they thought cable would end up at at the end of May. And Chris said 140.50. Lo and behold, as we record today's podcast, Cable is bang on 140.50. So he sits comfortably in pole position. Um, before you pat yourself on the back, though, um, there, Chris, it, it, let it be known that we're only middle, in the middle of the month. And my prediction was that we would break through 140 resistance um, in, the, in the early part of the month before pulling back to 139 by month end. So there you are. My my. My first part of the prediction has also been spot on. Time will tell who ends up on the top. Um, so much has happened since our last recording that there is a lot to unpack here. Um, sterling has rallied and the dollar certainly has weakened um, in the early parts. And that was largely to do with, um, I, I'd say, the Scottish indie, indie ref concerns, which have dissipated somewhat and been put on the back burner. Um, then there was a softer dollar will run on the on the back of that um, big miss on non-farm payrolls in April. Um, and yeah, I guess there was a lot of sterling strength, too, on, on the back of the UK data. I mean, that's been pretty impressive as well. We saw UK retail sales in April um, when compared to 2019's April. So if you ignore the COVID hit April last year. Um, retail sales were up 7.3%, um, which is a pretty remarkable um, beat. Um, but since then, we have also begun to see sterling weaken and given, give up some of those gains. Clearly, there's a, a bit of a, a new concern now with the Indian variant, um, with the COVID cases uh, of the Indian variant more than doubling in the last week. And, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson has now refused to rule out that he thinks that this um, could impact the, the pathway to easing. So, it, you know, th this it's certainly one to keep a watchful eye out for. And then on the dollar side, it really has all been about inflation. Um, we saw the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics report that consumer prices rose 0.8% in April from March, which is four times the median expectation um, and the most since 2009. Now, that data fuels worries that the world's biggest economy may need to raise interest rates earlier than expected. Um, that's kind of sparked a, a big fall in Wall Street with the S&P 500 index down 1.7% and, and the Nasdaq down as well, a little bit more than that, 2.3%. So there's there's certainly lots going on. And I, I definitely, on the inflation side of things, thought we'd, we'd probably pick things up there. So yeah, Ryan, very, very interested to get your thoughts. You know, it's it's been such a um, so widely spoken about by all the Fed Fed members, um, just that this they see inflation as being transitory, and and we are in in the situation we you know that that this is something that they're not going to react to and raise interest rates on. What what are your thoughts? Thanks, Kieran. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you look at kind of the the backdrop of global markets this week. Concerns about inflation have been very much the dominant topic, and that was even ahead of the inflation numbers um, earlier this week. Um, the inflation numbers themselves, as you said, clearly a, a big beat to the upside. If you look at the annual rate of inflation, um, that actually reached 4.2% on the headline CPI basis. Now, that's the strongest reading since 2008 and also above the Fed's target of 2%. 
Although the Fed's target is actually based on, on a different set uh, measure of inflation. But nonetheless, um, inflation is running higher than um, the Fed's target. I think if you look at to, to look at the inflation backdrop, I think I'd, I'd make a couple of points on this. On this, I think if you look at the, the past year or, or certainly since the start of the pandemic, what you have say, seen is a period of weaker inflation as kind of demand collapsed and obviously people were unable to go out and spend and things like that. Um, what you're now seeing, I suppose, is, is the reverse of that with the reopening of the economy um, and a surge in demand. Now, as a result of that, expectations amongst Federal Reserve officials and actually I'd say this isn't limited to the Fed either. Kind of the expectations among the major central banks, the Fed, the Bank of England, the ECB, all is that inflation should rise this year. And that is related to kind of the pandemic COVID related factors. And what I say, what what I mean by this is what you're likely to see and what we are seeing is signs of demand and supply mismatches, i.e. the reopening of the economies has seen a sharp rebound in demand. Um, at the same time, you supply hasn't been able to catch up with it. So you're getting kind of bottlenecks and to say that is pushing up prices, particularly in the COVID sensitive sectors. And actually, if you look at the breakdown of the CPI numbers, that is what we have seen. The the big upward drivers in in the US inflation numbers earlier this week were kind of, as I say, those COVID related sectors. Um, if you're looking at the year on year rates of inflation as well, you also have base effects as well because you've got inflation rising now, but it was falling last year. So you get those distortions in the numbers as well. So, as I say, kind of our view and one of the central banks is as well is, is that, yes, you are going to see a period of higher inflation this year, but it should be transitory. It should be temporary. As I say, what you those mismatches between demand and supply gradually over time they should start to begin to to dissipate and inflation kind of return towards more normal levels or I'd say more normal levels I'd say lesser i.e. the 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 expected peak this year should should begin to to fall back towards arguably the targeted levels of inflation um nonetheless markets worried about it i think the question mark the the, the questions that markets are asking this week has been kind of well what if we're wrong and actually there is a, an inflation issue i think on that point i'd say well what drives typically what drives persistently higher inflation it tends to be wage growth and what we've seen prior to the crisis is very low levels of unemployment in the us and equally you could say elsewhere uh, such as the uk but at the same time they haven't driven the expected higher levels of wage growth that you might expect for any given level of unemployment. Now, Kieran, you mentioned at the start the the, the jobs report on Friday, uh, last Friday. Obviously, that was a big, big miss on expectations. 266,000 jobs were added in April. Consensus was actually for a million jobs to be added. And I think Vice Chair of the Fed, Richard Clarida, um, quoted it as being the biggest miss in history. Now, I think the jobs market in the US, yes, we have seen some recovery, but it's still way off its pre-pandemic levels. Actually, the the level of payrolls is still some 8 million below what it was before the pandemic started. So there's still a lot of work to go on the labour market. And before you kind of get and you need that to recover before you, you potentially get those kind of wage growth numbers, which may generate more concerns at the Fed that inflation rise is persistent and 
hence monetary policy may be adjusted. So I think for the moment, the Fed is very much of the view it's going to sit on this for the moment. It's going to wait and see how the economy evolves. It's going to be patient on inflation and particularly the job numbers last week, again, raised the question that things may not be may not improve in a straight line and things may say fluctuate there are distortions still from from covid and so they want to see all of that play out before any kind of thoughts on policy and certainly fed members this week have been reiterating that point i.e we will be patient but i think obviously inflation is one to watch um certainly we're going to be watching it central banks are watching it and there has been the odd comment actually one or two which Still very much sticking with the, the Fed's line of patience, but a little, I suppose, nuances regarding the inflation numbers and I suppose a, some small question marks be, um, emerging. But as I said, the Fed very much of the view that there, there's no change in policy on the horizon anytime soon. And we're of that view as well. Um, on rates, we don't think you'll actually get a move on on. In, in Fed policy rates until 2023. Um, if you look at the curve this week, it's actually pricing in, fully pricing in a 25 basis points hike by December 2022. I think what you will see though is the Fed acknowledge um, the recovery in other ways and we do think it will announce a tapering of its asset purchases at the end of this year. Um, thanks, Ryan. That's really interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I think part, part of... Uh, my my thought, and, and certainly where I'm sitting at, is is that I think that yeah, that if we get closer to December and inflation continues to shoot on higher, um, you know, that that the rhetoric might shift somewhat. And as, as you mentioned, you know, the market is fully pricing in now a rate hike for December, um, which is which is very interesting. And I think that those concerns might really, you know, certainly peg back this, a, a huge sterling dollar move up which a lot of dollar buyers are hoping for but will time will tell what what's yeah happened? i just i just i just, yeah. I just to, to, to echo uh, your point there actually um as i said if you look at the fed they expect inflation to be above target this year their forecast actually is for inflation to be 2.4 percent at the end of this year um but obviously if you see numbers like we saw earlier this week then people are going to start to become uncomfortable and indeed we heard from uh, one of the Fed's newest governors this morning, Christopher Waller, and he was saying if you saw 4% inflation month after month, then that is going to become a worry. Yeah, and I think if you think about commodity price inflation and the input input price inflation and you're looking at all of the pent-up savings, you know, I think you can see why the market's a bit kind of hesitant to to kind of take it fully on board that they are going to just let it lapse. But time will tell. I mean, we'll, we'll, time will definitely, tell. we'll definitely want to get Chris's views on this. What was the price action like um, uh, tra- trading through that US CPI number, Chris, and what are you hearing from the interbank market? Yeah, I mean, the price action probably reflected all of our thoughts of um, what we've gone through there. We had um, the initial move on the headline um, where we saw cable drop down to 140.80 level and then bounce back very, very sharply to 141.52 with people think, ah, oh, but it's transitory, so it's fine, we're going to overlook this before then decided actually maybe this is probably a bit a little bit higher and maybe it isn't as transitory as we may have thought and you saw sterling come back off again so there was a bit of indecision it was quite volatile during that period but overall i think yeah the market is slightly more concerned than it was um so this is why you see the cables drop down back to one 140 level um and just starting to bounce back a little bit i think what we are seeing is the Market's getting a little bit excited, and then you're seeing the Fed come in, and you know, the more level-headed guys coming in and say, "Actually, 
this isn't so bad. We knew there was going to be inflation. We knew it was transitory. We were expecting this and trying to calm the markets down a little bit um, so they don't get too carried away. And I think every comment you've seen from the Fed since really has been this kind of downplaying and dampening these uh, inflation expectations. I guess the question becomes, you know, when does it stop being transitory and when does it become, you know, a real thing? And I guess that's the worry. Um, I think we're going to have to see a few more data points before we start getting more worried or the Fed start changing their rhetoric slightly. Um, but when we look at a breakdown of the CPI data that we had, um, you know, it was, uh, I think 60% of it was on like used cars, and rental cars and aviation. All these things are quite transitory in nature. So it does tie in with this. It is transitory at the moment, but there's still enough to add a little bit of worry. So I think we're going to be very, very um, data sensitive at the moment, um, especially on any US data, um, any jobs data. I think we're going to keep an eye out for like wage growth and see if we start seeing a tick up in wage growth and that filling through into inflation. So, yeah, it feels like we're going to be very data dependent for the um, next few weeks at least. Yeah, that's interesting. And being data dependent has been a market for the last couple of years that's been so dominant, dominated by Brexit headlines and and so forth, uh, you know, COVID headlines. And we've kind of taken our eye off the ball a little bit in terms of, you know, data. And um, if you if you cast your mind back to the early 2000s, you know, the early 2010 to 15 period, non-farm payrolls numbers used to really, you know, if there was a, a, a big miss, would really move them, move move currency markets significantly. And that kind of went away a little bit over that Brexit period. So it's interesting to see it come back and, and you are spot on there. Um, just just in terms of um, price action as well, I was also, you know, a key, a key thing that uh, that happened in the interim since the last podcast was the uh, the local elections and, um, you know, Scottish NDRF concerns having um, somewhat been put on the back burner as i mentioned what was the pound reaction to, to to those chris yeah it was um it was more of a, a grind higher i think the stars aligned stars aligned a little bit when we broke that 140 around that same sort of period um so yeah it was um supported um yes the you know the fact that the SP didn't get a, a full majority does take a little bit of pressure from the indie ref and that was seen as slightly supportive but i think there was also a few level breaks and a few bit of uh shifting positioning that helped that kind of move higher um but yeah i think now that's over um i think we look we look forward and um maybe have the indie ref on the back burner i mean i don't think it's going to go away anytime soon but um yeah it's certainly not the threat that maybe some people might thought it might have been and Ryan, um, just uh, your, your thoughts on on the on the elections as well. Is anything there? And, and what about um, you know the, the Bank of England? We saw that they they didn't taper, um, but Hal Dane did defect. So it was an eight one vote in the in the meeting. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, on 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 the, on the first point on the elections. Um, as I say, I think as Chris was saying, I think there was some relief that the S and P missed out on a, an outright majority. Um, they actually only fell one seat short of a. Uh, the 65 required for, um, let's say, now I might write majority. Um, I think on the question of the Indie Ref 2, um, yes, I think it's not uh, on the immediate horizon. I think, as Sturgeon has said, her first priority now is, is dealing with the pandemic and the, the Scottish recovery from, obviously, the COVID crisis. But I, th- I, I think we should remember, I don't think the, the question over Indie Ref has gone away. Um, 
Yes, the S&P missed out on the majority, but there is still a majority um, in Holyrood um, which are in favour of independence. Um, actually, the pro-independence uh, majority actually gained uh, a further three seats in the elections. So, as I say, I expect Sturgeon to remain very much focused on addressing kind of COVID first. But once that's kind of dealt with, I think she will return to the issue of um, independence. And I think there will be overtures towards the Scottish Greens, who are um, the other big pro-independence party in, in Scotland. And there will be, at some point, we suspect, another proposal for um, an independence referendum. But as to when that may be, um, time will tell. So I think just to bear, I'd bear that in mind, as I say, the Indy Ref question hasn't gone away. It's quiet for now, but it will likely come back around. On the question of the Bank of England, um, yes, indeed, Haldane did vote for um, a reduction in the guilt uh, target. Um, he actually advocated a £50 billion uh, reduction in the target. Haldane has been, I suppose, one of the more hawkish members of the MPC recently. Um, he certainly had some hawkish comments in the last 24 hours as well. Um, it is worth remembering, though, that the chief economist, Haldane, is actually leaving next month. Um, he's actually, so he's, he's leaving the Bank of England. Um, so he will be replaced. We don't know who the chief economist is going to be. Um, so I suppose that will alter the balance of the uh, the view on the committee at that point. I think in terms of the Bank of England, our view on that is that, OK, if you look at the UK economy, um, we had numbers for Q1 GDP this week. Um, they showed a, a contraction of 1.5% in the on the quarter, um, despite the lockdown that we saw across England. Um, that's a, a considerably better outturn than the 19.5% fall in GDP we saw last year um, when the first lockdown was, was introduced. So the numbers are clearly showing that the UK economy is becoming more resilient to these measures and actually going beyond Q1 now. So we're looking at the April's, the numbers for April and May. What we're looking at is is quite a considerable rebound in, in economic activity. Now, how this translates into monetary policy, we think the Bank of England will be patient as other central banks are. Um, we don't think you'll get a, a move on rates from the Bank of England until uh, 2023. Um, I suppose, though, if you look at markets, it's notable how much the view on UK interest rates has changed since the start of the year when uh, markets were pricing in the possibility of uh, the Bank of England going negative on rates. That idea has now completely vanished and the focus is now on the recovery and when policy might tighten some point in the future. I think on QE, one point I think we'd just like to make is that the Bank of England is very much against the use of the word tapering here in the UK. What it actually did with its asset purchases is to slow the pace of purchases in order to prevent the target being met too early. Um, their goal was for asset purchases to continue until the end of the year. And if they continued at the pace they were going at, they would have met that in September. Um, so they, they wanted to smooth it out. But we what we do think on, on asset purchases is if you look at the economy and the, the expected recovery, we think actually next year or in, in, the, in, in the coming time, the Bank of England will actually start to shrink its balance sheet and, and start to, to ease off on the, the QE front, as I say, by 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 winding down those, those QE purchases. But that's going to be subject to review, which is coming from the Bank of England. So I think for the Bank of England at the moment, it's very much steady as she goes, see how COVID pans out and, and the, the recovery thereafter. 
But I think as you go through time, certainly the question marks over when policy is going to be adjusted, not just here, here, but globally. The Fed obviously is the key focus. The Bank of England and at some point questions are going to be asked about whether the ECB still needs to buy. Ertz, um, they're currently buying under the pandemic emergency purchase program and certainly the, the Hawks and the governing council are, are suggesting a phasing out in Q3. So it's certainly one to watch as we go through the year. Thanks, Ryan. Well, listen, guys, it's been a, it's been a bit of a long, long one this time around. So I think let's try and wrap it up now. Um, Chris, finally, just to, just to get your thoughts on any technical levels we should look out for now that, you know, cable's broken through 140. Um, Sterling euro still hovering around that 116 um, figure. Anything, anything to to be kind of keeping an eye on for on the technical side? Yeah, I think that uh, that 140 level is now providing some decent support, um, but below that, really, one around around 138 on the downside. Uh, on the top side, really, the key level is that 142.37, which was the uh, February high. Um, that's going to be a key level on the top side. Um, in terms of sterling euro, you're right; it has been trading a little bit sideways. Um, we've been in a range really from 114.50 to 117. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure we're going to shake out that range just yet. But key topside level really is 118 the figure and 114.50 on the downside. Brilliant. Well, guys, thanks once again for your time, um, Chris and Ryan, um, and to all of you folks who are listening. Thanks again for for, for tuning in. Um, until next time, which will be in a couple of weeks. Um, all the best from the three of us. Take care.